Okay, and welcome back to Fast Ship Performance then. My name is Tim Davies uh, with another episode for you. Going to leap straight in. I will just say that the audio in this particular podcast and the, probably the next one, to be honest, is not going to be as silky smooth as you're used to because I'm actually using a MacBook Pro, I think it is, the, uh, the actual built-in mic. I'm away from my home address, um, traveling all over the place, as I'm sure uh, you understand. So I do apologize for that. It might be not as silky as you're used to. Okay, so recently I wrote then um, about uh, an issue I have with one of my students, and uh, this is what this uh, one is about. It's called The Passionless Pilot, Why the Advice to Follow Your Passion is Inherently Flawed. So I'll go ahead and read it, and then maybe at the end, I'll. Um, there's a few comments, about 20 comments, so if you do have a comment on it, then please get on the site um, and uh, type away. I think that's where we get those conversations generated, which is really, which is really, really good. And if you do have anything uh, you, you'd like to hear me write about, then it's Tim Davies. No, it's not. What am I talking about? It's uh, Tim at fastjetperformance.com or on Twitter. It's uh, Tim Davies underscore UK or at fastjetperform is the same one. I'm going to try and combine those Twitters to a certain extent. I'm truly going to try and go over to um, Tim Davies at fastjetperform to really be able to uh, give more of a running sort of narrative about what I'm doing in, in the jet for you guys. Good stuff. Right. So I'm going to read through this. As I said, at the end, maybe a few words about what some of the comments have said. Something was very wrong in my aeroplane. My student had locked the missile onto the heat plume of the hostile aircraft and I could hear the familiar growl signalling its imminent departure. But nothing happened. We'd been flying for over 40 minutes and my trainee pilot had gradually become less talkative and less animated. And for someone who was heavily engaged in air combat with two of the fast jets, this was a problem. You okay there, buddy? I asked as my student disengaged from the hostile aircraft and climbed skywards out of the fight. I just think I could do it better. It didn't look right, came the reply. But I'd seen this before and I knew it wasn't good. Air combat is exceptionally dynamic and often you are being subjected over six times the force of gravity whilst trying to communicate with your wingman and manoeuvre your aircraft to kill the bad guy. It's full-on, calculated and focused aggression. And right now, my student was taking the easy road. Soon, fuel would dictate the end of the fight, and we recovered back to the airfield, where we debriefed the sortie before heading home. It had been a difficult time for this course, and we had been trying to get their air combat phase completed for the past few weeks, but poor weather was preventing us from doing so. As instructors, we were well aware that unless we finished them soon, apathy would start to set in. That evening, I got a call from my student. Sir, it's me. We flew together today. Can I have a chat? Sure can, I replied. Come on over. We can do a Top Gun thing where we'll grab a couple of beers and go walk on the beach. You can tell me how you're thinking of quitting and I can convince you to stay. I joked back at him. Silence. It was a Friday night, so we met up in a local pub. And, as I got us a couple of beers, my student found us a table. I don't think I'm passionate about flying anymore, he said, as I gave him his beer. It wasn't the first time I'd heard it, and it wouldn't be the last. My role as a squadron uncle is one that is found on flying squadrons all over the world. It's the guy that's been there for a while, probably too long, but can recognise when the student is pushing the boundaries of what is safe. It's the guy that can speak to the boss and give him the lowdown, tell him what the guys and girls are thinking so that he can address it before it gets to be a problem. And it's the guy that the pilots can bleat at when they just need to get something off their chest. It's also the guy the students can get some unprejudiced advice from, knowing it won't make it back to their instructors. 
and it was obvious that my student was troubled. Almost 50 years ago, a man named Richard Bowles wrote and self-published a 168-page guide to navigating career changes, which he handed out for free after seeing many of his campus ministers lose their jobs in a budget restructuring in San Francisco. He called it, What Colour Is Your Parachute? A reference about bailing out of a troubled organisation. Its message was, figure out what you like to do and then find a place that needs people like you. Or, in other words, the key to a fulfilling career is to first figure out what you're passionate about and then go and find a job to match it. Back in 1970, it was a revolutionary concept and it went on to sell 6 million copies. This was the first time that anyone had come up with what is now a universally regarded notion that if you find what you're really passionate about and go and do it, you'll find happiness. And it affects one particular generation much more than any other. That of Generation Y and that of my student sitting opposite me with a confused look on his face. Generation Y, the generation born between the 1980s and the mid-1990s, are having a difficult time and it's not all their fault. Also known as millennials, they seem to be getting a kicking from all sides. They're often accused of having too great an expectation of the workplace, of changing jobs too frequently, of not wanting children and of being dependent on technology. But it should also be noted that they were the first generation to grow up not knowing an unconnected world, to have pragmatic idealism in the support of progressive domestic social agendas to being the most ethnically and racially diverse generation compared to all the others and to being more open-minded than their parents on controversial topics. Their parents were born in the 50s and are the baby boomer generation, a very large cohort, that were able to support and grow economic prosperity in an exceptionally powerful way. More so, Gen Y's grandparents were born in the era of the Great Depression and had taught their children, the parents, to prioritise economic security over everything else. Don't be a risk taker, they said. Get a secure and stable job and buy a house. And so they did. They bought lots of houses. And as the 70s, 80s and 90s rolled around, the baby boomers enjoyed extraordinary times of economic prosperity and it felt good to have the BMW and the boat. Quote, greed is good. Gordon Gecko, Wall Street. They felt great and being optimistic for their kids' future told them that they could be anything they wanted to be and do whatever they wanted to do. And this left their children feeling exceptionally upbeat about their future. Not only could they be financially secure, but they could also change the world for the better. They could be the next Mark Zuckerberg, Taylor Swift or Elon Musk. The world really was their oyster. What awesome parents to have and what a great message to give, except it was wrong. Many years ago, a very senior officer in the RAF came to my base and gave a presentation where he told the assembled audience that they could all be the boss of the Air Force. You can all be the top dog one day, he cried. Any of you can be chief of the air staff if you are passionate enough. But it wasn't true. We couldn't have all run the RAF unless it was to have 35,000 bosses. What is so wrong with this message is that it gives false hope and expectation to the many that are necessary to play their essential worker bee role in the organisation. And this is the problem. Gen Y has only ever heard the mantra, follow your passion. They read it in magazines, hear it in the music they listen to, and see it on YouTube and in films. Quote, find what makes you happy and go for it with all your heart. It will be hard, but I promise it will be worth it. That's from Charlotte Erickson, who is an author. 
also a Gen Y. There is a part of our psychology that plays a huge part in how we view the world. The more we're exposed to something, the more true it feels. This is to do with something called cognitive ease, which is a measure of how hard your brain is working. Things that are true generally elicit cognitive ease. The grass is green, the sun is bright, or pilots are all really good looking. Not only when things are repeated do they feel true, they also feel comfortable. The problem, however, is that cognitive ease can be manufactured by simply repeating a statement, and the more it is repeated, the more people feel that it is good and can be trusted. Quote, I will build a great wall and nobody builds walls better than me, believe me. And I'll build them very inexpensively. I will build a great, great wall on our southern border and I will make Mexico pay for that wall. Mark my words. That's by Donald Trump. This is why celebrities go on Sunday morning cooking programmes as they know that any exposure that they get will make them seem more likeable and familiar. Familiarity makes people seem more common and therefore your mind is not challenged to understand them. You can process them with cognitive ease. Without delving into the EU referendum results too deeply, the Remain camp used many scare tactics to convince us to stay and these all took time to understand and process. Trade deals will fall apart. We'll lose access to the single market and the possibility of a war if we left the EU. Conversely, the Leave camp eventually just capitalised on one simple one that was all familiar to all of us, immigration, and repeated it many, many times over. By constantly being told by their parents to follow your passion, parents who, incidentally, did anything but, Generation Y has become very familiar and trusting in believing that this is the only route to happiness. And this puts them into something called the passion trap. Here's a quote. The passion trap. The more emphasis you place on finding work you love, the more unhappy you become when you don't love every minute the work you have. That's by a guy called Cal Newport. Now, let's look at Google's Ngram Viewer, which is a tool that shows how significantly a phrase appears in books that Google has scanned over a selected time frame. You won't see the graph because it's a picture and I'm talking to you on a podcast for crying out loud. But if you do go to the post, you'll see a graph that starts at 1988 and goes on to 2008, and it shows an increasing number of times the word follow or the phrase follow your passion is seen in books that Google has scanned. So we're going to see that that's, that phrase has increased in uh, usage over those years. Now, my student was 24 years old, which means that he was born in 1992. Look what happens to the line during his lifetime. We can see that it climbs. His whole life, he's been told that following, following his passion will make him happy. No wonder he was having a problem with it. He'd done exactly what his parents had told him to do, and yet he still wasn't happy. For many of us, but especially the young, this can create an existential crisis in which we ask ourselves searching questions. Who really are we? What do we believe in? And what kind of life do we want to lead? On top of this, he was living in a time when social media has created a world where everyone's lives were on display for all to see. People online present a very curated version of their lives. I have a friend who calls Facebook Bragbook. You only ever hear from the people whose careers or relationships are doing really well and never from people who are struggling as they don't tend to air their misfortune. No wonder my student was feeling low. It seemed that everybody was doing really well and he wasn't even passionate about the one thing that people were telling him he should be passionate about. 
Flying military fast jets is actually a really hard career. We all know that it looks glamorous, but it is anything but Top Gun. Every flight my student flew is a test that he could fail, and fail three times and you're looking for another job. Everything about it is demanding, mentally, physically, and even socially. It is a job that you get paid to do, and if you didn't get paid, believe me, you really wouldn't do it. My student was coming towards the end of his formalised military flying training and was now finding that he had time to think about the flying he was about to do on the front line. He was right to be apprehensive. The responsibility he was about to be given was daunting and he was questioning himself. All of his life he'd been told that he was special, that he would change the world one day and as good as being a fast jet pilot in the RF was, he was asking himself, shouldn't I be creating the next Facebook or curing cancer by now? Quote, it is never too late to be what you might have been. That's George Eliot. Pilots need to be confident in the cockpit and it is no place for self-doubt. But luckily, we are particularly good at compartmentalising. This means that I wasn't concerned about my students flying, but I was concerned that he felt unfulfilled. I explained my theory on how his generation had been let down by the generations above him, but that he was doing really well by even talking about the doubts he had. I told him that I'm not that passionate about flying either. Yes, in the early days, when I was just discovering aviation, I was very passionate about it. But now, many years later, I have other passions that I've come to realise. I'm passionate about helping individuals on their road to success. I love helping someone find a plan to really impact the world in a better and more meaningful way. Currently, the way I recognise my passion for fostering an individual's growth is by using an aircraft that I teach in. And by writing posts like these, that might just help one person change for the better. And the more I go through life, the more my passions change and develop. For example, I'm currently passionate about exploring authenticity and openness and what it means in command and leadership positions. I also coach and advise individuals and companies and talk at corporate events, schools and charities. But we all worry that we don't have any passion and that at a party, somebody is going to ask us, what are you passionate about? We won't have an answer. We all believe that we should have one passion that defines us. And if we find it and pursue it to the exclusion of all else, we'll be happy and successful. And if we don't, then we won't. What if we get on the wrong train and end up in the wrong future? But it is okay not to have a passion to follow. When someone tells a millennial to follow your passion, most don't know what to do next. The passion doesn't pitch up whilst waiting for inspiration to appear. It's exposed to action and meaningful work. Millennials are told that they must get an awesome job, that they are passionate about, are respected in, and that pays really well. And they know that this doesn't mean something menial, such as sweeping floors. Now in 1962, President John F. Kennedy was being given a tour of the NASA Space Center when he noticed a janitor carrying a broom. He interrupted his visit, walked over to the man and said, Hi, I'm Jack Kennedy. What are you doing? Well, Mr. President, the janitor responded, I'm helping to put a man on the moon. Now, in the eyes of most people, the janitor was just cleaning a floor. But as far as he saw it, he was helping to make history. Now, maybe we need to look at how we are defining our role in life and not worry about having to be passionate about something to be seen as successful. People often attempt to follow career paths that they think they should be passionate about. But they do this because they see people who are already successful in those careers and they mistake the passion these people now have 
as a result of the initial choice they made as opposed to the effort they put in along the way. A quote, passion and purpose go hand in hand. When you discover your purpose, you will normally find it's something you're tremendously passionate about. That's from Steve Pavlina. Passion is a fire that ignites and burns intensely, but it also burns fast, and this makes it transient. Look at passion as a result of living a fulfilling and purposeful life and not the other way around. Quote, passion is not a plan. Passion is a feeling. Feelings can change. That's from Terry Trespicio uh, at a TEDx event. Zappos.com is an example of a business where passion came after the business was up and running. I very much doubt that the CEO, Tony, how do you pronounce that name? My goodness, H-S-I-E-H, let's not even try. Very much doubt that the CEO is passionate about shoes, but he is passionate about exceptional customer service, which is what Zappos, Zappos is known for. Passion came later and is what drives the company ever forward. Passion is the power that sustains your current activity and not what has driven you there. Here's a quote. You have to fall in love with your work. Never complain about your job. You must dedicate your life to mastering your skill. That is the secret of success. And that is the key to being regarded honorably. I never once hated this job. I fell in love with my work and gave my life to it. Even though I'm 85 years old, I don't feel like retiring. That's how I feel. That's from Japanese sushi master Jiro Ono on uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi, which I believe may be on Netflix, can't confirm or deny. So try and be useful, generous, and spend time solving other people's problems. Don't wake up in the morning asking, how can I make money? Ask instead, how can I bring value into someone's life today? As I told my student, don't worry about not having a passion to follow. You will generate passion as you move through your career and develop yourself professionally. Maybe you'll become an instructor and find that you're passionate about helping the pilots on your squadron understand air combat or navigation. But whatever you do, you have to actually start to do it in order to become passionate about it. I said to him, I'm not saying that you should live a life without passion, but that passion should live a life within you. By exploring things that are of interest to you, you allow passions to develop. If you focus on creating a purposeful and meaningful life and contribute towards other people's happiness, it will be seen that you're excited and energised about what you're doing and that you do not have to follow a passion because passion is already following you. Don't follow your passion, live it. Last quote here, the two most important days in your life, the day you were born and the day you find out why. That was from Mark Twain. And that's the end of it. You'll be pleased to know. And I do sorry, I do apologise again about the recording equipment um, here. But hopefully it works because what it does allow me, of course, is a lot more flexibility. I think that's what I'm going to try and do. I normally record these things on a backup flying the jet um, because I have a PC up there and everything and I have a condenser mic and everything else set up. But if this kind of works for people, then it allows me to record these things wherever uh, wherever I am. I'm also going to try and get a bit more into Twitter. Like Twitter can be quite problematic and I'll just give it a bit of a run of a month or so and see whether um, that kind of works out. But of course, Facebook is the main thing I'm posting to or Bragbook as we now know it. Um, so that's really where most of my stuff's going. And I guess maybe we can probably bring in some YouTube at some point as well if I can put more films together. The next film I'm looking at is the, the basic uh, setups for the 2v1 air combat that we do. 
and really what they mean and um, how you can sort of get involved and have a look at what we're doing there. That might be quite an important one to have a look at. So really, uh, thanks for listening. I'm going to have to go and record the next one now because I've got another one out. Uh, of course I do. Why not? Um, you can hear my squeaky mouse wheel here. There you go, squeaky mouse wheel. Uh, the next one I've got to record is uh, about gender, actually. That's quite an interesting one. Uh, interesting because a little bit controversial, to be honest. So maybe listen into that one as well. Thanks for listening. Really appreciate that 20 minutes of your time. Speed me up, okay? Increase your learning and minimize the time you take to do so. Hey, Tim Davies, Fast Hit Performance.